This is Marketing Jam, a show featuring the brightest minds in marketing. As we get going into our show, I want to talk about SEO quickly. This whole search engine optimization thing. People are frustrated by it, confused by it, and probably not really getting the straight goods about how it works. Back when we outsource our SEO, we're often confused when we get the reports back. It seemed like a dark art. They were rubbing some sort of oil on our websites and supposedly magic was happening. When we started using AREFs, it was a game changer. The reports we got, the clarity on site ranking for terms, and really the transparency and understanding between off-site and on-site SEO was really helpful. Today, for all of our clients, we provide HREFs reporting and use the tool to audit sites. It's the premier SEO tool and you can have the confidence you're getting the top quality tool that provides incredible support and resources to help you with your SEO for your brand or the clients you work with. Check out arefs.com today. Well, thanks everyone for joining us for another week of Marketing Jam. I'm so uh, excited you're here uh, in audio and video land. Uh, we've got an incredible guest uh, for you to uh, meet today. Uh, so come on in, listen to this conversation, and uh, thanks for coming. Terry. Thank you for being on the show. Well, thanks for having me. So, Terry, I feel like there, there's so many places we can go, but why don't we start with your journey? You have such a fascinating um, kind of experience in the world of advertising. You, you have been and lived through the Mad Men days. You know, you've, you've seen uh, you know, the onslaught of radio and, and now even kind of your world into podcasts. Kind of maybe give your origin story of kind of where you went from there to here. Okay, I'm not that old, by the way. I didn't live through the Mad Men days, which were the 60s in, the, in my business. But um, I had a funny kind of a, a thing happen very early in life, which I wonder if it had a big effect on me. And it's so hard to know. But when I was four years old, I was on Romper Room, which was a children's television show back in 19. This would be 1963. And uh, they after one of those shows, the, a director walked up to my mother and said, could we use Terry in a commercial we're shooting in the next studio? So my mother said, sure. So they walked me over and it was a, a little local commercial for a local bakery. And they told me just to stand there and eat a sandwich while the announcer, uh, you know, extolled the virtues of this bakery. And uh, and I, ad I apparently ad-libbed the line, which is kind of funny. Uh, in the middle of the commercial, I looked up and said, do I have to eat the crust? Which is such a kid thing to say, right? Yes. And uh, director laughed his head off and left it in the commercial and that commercial. So I was raised in Sudbury, Ontario. That commercial aired there for probably, I would say four or five years, maybe a long wow. time. So I had that weird sensation of being four when it hit the air and being like nine watching myself as a four year old on TV in a commercial. Wow. So anyway, there's, so there's that history. So very quickly, I went to, we were very fortunate in high school in Sudbury. We had a film and television course wow. and for five years of uh, high school. We had full studio, all the equipment. I took that course and really got excited about broadcasting. Mm. Then went to Ryerson in Toronto for radio and television arts in 1978. Yeah. <clears throat> Didn't want to do radio. Very funny. I was interested in television and film <clears throat> when I realized I had to spend my first year studying radio, I was really put off. I was really thought that was a big waste of time because I had no interest in the medium. And wouldn't you know, I kind of fall in love with it, hmm. the serendipity of life. 
And then after uh, Ryerson, I it was the recession in 1981, so it was very hard to find a mm. job. So uh, I applied to many advertising agencies, over 60 of them. <clears throat> they all turned me down because it was a recession yeah. and because I had no experience. Yeah. And then I ended up at a radio station, a little radio station in Burlington, Ontario, hired me as their copywriter. And I really fell in love with radio at that radio station. Oh. I was the only writer. We had 150 mm -hmm. ongoing retail clients. I It was baptism by fire. Mm -hmm. I had to write, you know, between 10 and 20 scripts a day and produce wow. them all. It was, I was, I didn't know what I was doing. I learned fast. Seriously. And then after that, I got into big, I really wanted to get into big time advertising agencies. That was yeah. always my dream to be a copywriter in a big Toronto advertising agency. That eventually happened a couple of years later. I got hired, uh, did um, a lot of really wonderful work at two or three of the most creative advertising agencies in Canada at that time, Doyle Dane Burnback, Shia Day. And then I opened up my own company with a partner in 1990, which was Pirate Radio. Even though I'd worked in all the mediums, radio, that thing yeah. I never wanted to do was this thing that came really easy to me and I really enjoyed it and loved it. And I created the company I could not find in that whenever a writer in an agency has to produce a television commercial or a radio campaign, you hire a production company. Yeah. And I found that most production companies were not that good at what they did. I always ended up fighting with the director. They wanted to always change my script instead of just plussing my script. And I was always trying to save my script from the director. So I created a company that directed commercials from a writer's point of view because I could not find that company. Okay. I couldn't find it in Toronto, I couldn't yeah. find it in Vancouver, I couldn't find it in Detroit, in New York, Los Angeles, Chicago. I worked in all those cities with production companies and that was the genesis of Pirate Radio. And we were very busy, very successful right out of the gates because I think a lot of writers felt the same way I did. We eventually became pirate radio and television because we were doing as much television as radio at that time. And so that company began in 1990 and uh, I directed about 500 commercials a year personally. Wow. So over my career, I, I think I've done the math. I think I directed something like 13,500 commercials until I hung up my directing hat in 2012. Wow. And in 2005, Darian, just to give you a quick yeah, little beat yeah, there, in we pitched, Mike, Mike Tennant and myself, we pitched CBC on the crazy idea of creating a radio series on, on how advertising really works. Yeah. You know, just to explain the industry to people mm -hmm. because we were active admin, we yeah. were in the trenches, we had access and experience. Yeah. And, and I said to CBC, most people think advertising is annoying. Yeah. When in fact, fascinating business because it's the study of human nature yes so cbc took that show much to our our surprise and shock and that was 2005 and we have been on the air we just finished our 15th season wow so wow. you are in a nutshell so i was driving uh, in my car and uh it was a saturday listening to the cbc uh, and your show comes on this was my first kind of introduction to your world and you did a show on uh, radio around the world, and you told about this uh, example of uh, I'm talking about they're trying to get refugees to come home. Like uh, it was guerrilla, I think it was guerrilla warfare. They were in the jungle, and they somehow did a, a radio commercial or ran a radio campaign 
in this kind of pirate radio station. And then when people were going down their rafts, I don't know if you remember this story, they, they were hearing this story about coming home for the holidays and it inspired them to come home. And it was this really powerful story of how radio uh, changed uh, the world. It changed this kind of area. Yeah. yeah. You're, uh, yeah. Well, I'm a story hunter, so I am always looking for those kind of stories. And the great thing about the marketing world, and I mean like the world, the the, the planet and the industry of uh, marketing in that, is that there's always stories being generated every single day. It's people say, you know, after 15 years, is it still hard? Is it hard to come up with stories? And I say, that's the easiest part of the show. Mm. The research is the toughest part, but coming yeah. up with episode ideas is in fact the easiest part. Yeah, the amount of uh, production that goes into your shows, the amount of research, it's, it's, it, you can tell. Like, it's a labor of love and uh, you can tell the work that goes into those. It's, uh, it, it is a labor of love and I think most people don't even probably know how much work goes into it. I have uh, a team of researchers mm -hmm. and we, you know, depending on the episode theme, we could spend somewhere between us all, maybe you know, 20 to 30 plus hours of research for a 27 minute show. Wow. I'll get back a hundred pages of research from my researchers. It takes me two or three days to go through it, to try and formulate the, the show in my mind. It takes another two days to write the show, maybe two and a half days. And then it's 12 hours in the studio to put our show together because yeah. there's a lot of elements, right? There's the narration, of course, mm -hmm. there's music, there's yeah. sound effects, there's clips, there's commercials. I sometimes bring actors in to do funny little bits. So it's, it's a 12 hour day to record and mix a 27 minute show wow. every week. Now, are you, do you have a favorite show over 15 years? Can you think of one that kind of stands out in your mind? Boy, there's a good question. Um, you know, it's interesting. I've discovered along the way that a show will tell me what it's about. Huh. And what I mean by that is, and I'll give you a great example, which is one of my favorite shows. So I wanted to do a show on how the advertising industry advertises to women. Mm. Because 85% of the goods and services purchased in this world are purchased by women. Mm. So I started to do that research. And I mean, as an ad guy, I mean, I have a lot of insight into that, but I started also doing the research and trying to go back in time to mm -hmm. see where the advertising industry really locked its sights on women. Yeah. And through the research I discovered, which I sort of knew, but really didn't know was that the advertising industry after World War II in the fifties, mm -hmm. when, when industry started roaring back after the war effort, so many products were invented during wartime. Yeah. Time is an incredible, as horrible as war is, it's also got this weird upside where a lot of incredible inventions happen during wartime. And then those inventions become consumer products in peace, peacetime. So, you know, America had all these incredible products like nylons came from parachutes and uh, microwave uh, stoves came microwave radar and anyway they needed an audience to buy they needed a, a big chunk of the public to buy these products so they focused in on women and started to glorify the stay-at-home mom mm. because they needed women to not go into the workforce but instead to stay home and purchase all the household products aerosol sprays came from the war like all of furniture polish all of that and they glorified the stay-at-home mom, which in core, of course over time was a very damaging thing to women because mm -hmm. they had a lot of aspirations. A lot of them went to university, but popular culture in advertising in particular 
convinced them or persuaded them to stay home. And there was a lot of uh, a lot of anger over time. And it really eventually became the boomerang effect became women's lib in the 70s. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But anyway, going back in time. So that episode taught me that advertising had this really dark side where it really mm -hmm. It, it, it suppressed and oppressed women's desires just in order to, to sell products to them in the 50s and 60s. And that was eye-opening to me. Wow. So we did a big two-part show called um, How Advertising Invented the Housewife. And that was probably my favorite show of all time. Wow. It's almost the, the opposite effect when they did Rosie Riveter, right? Like, hey, you can do this. Look what us women can do. And then they, the opposite effect of the housewife. Yeah. 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 So, Terry... You have two books out now. Tell me about those that have yet to discover the first book. Tell us about it, and then tell us about your, your newest book that you've put out. The first book was based on, so the radio show began as O'Reilly on advertising for one year because we thought CBC was only going to take us for the summer. Sure. It was a summer replacement show. And then it got so much great response that CBC kept us on and said, we want you to stay. And then Mike and I rejigged the show and, and renamed it and opened up its focus and we called it the age of persuasion. So the first book was based on that series. In other words, that book is, is an interesting walk through the world of marketing. How did it start? How did some of the strategies and techniques in advertising develop? Where were they first used? Yeah. And how are they used today? So it really was a walk through the history of advertising. My latest book called This I Know is really where the radio show is aimed at the average Canadian to tell them, explain how the advertising industry works. Yeah. This book is the other end of the telescope. It's aimed at marketers. So I've taken a career's worth of insights and all the insights I gleaned from doing the show and all the research and put them into one book for marketers, especially small to medium marketers who don't have a big advertising agency on speed dial. Yeah. So this book was written to help them understand how marketing works, how to develop a strategy, mm -hmm. how to be bold in the marketplace, how to position yourself against the competition. It's a how-to book for marketers. Have you seen any um, like education outlets starting to adopt it or kind of places that are using it yeah. to educate? Yeah, it's, uh, we get a lot of uh, emails from teachers around the country that really, A, use the show in their classrooms. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then, yeah, and then we, we also are told often that our book is, is sometimes part of a curriculum at schools, and it's definitely in the school library. So uh, yeah. there's that side of it, too, that it's educating, you know, would-be marketers, young marketers, or just, the, you know, just a media literacy course, more or yeah. less, I guess. Yeah. I find, uh, you know, being someone who has an agency, you know, we're seven years in, mostly focusing on digital, is um, there's all these podcasts and all this information about kind of the new ways of marketing and kind of like the new, you know, shiny object that's just been out, right? And, and, and will it stay even, right? You look at Vine and, and now even TikTok. I find that every time I listen to your show, it's so grounding and it's, uh, it's been amazing as far as learning about the history because I feel like the stuff you teach and the stuff you present is evergreen. You know, it, it, it's the foundation of where advertising came from. It, it affects everything that we do. And even you've touched on influencer marketing, which is, again, one of my favorite episodes that you've done. Yeah. Well, that's what our show changed in uh, around 2000 and maybe 11. Uh, my producing partner, Mike, left the show to, to pursue other things. So I was at this, this crossroads where I had to figure out what I was going to do with the show. So that's when it became the age. It became under the influence at that point. And I also thought it was a good time to, to kind of refocus the show because when we started 
age of persuasion, there was no smartphones, no Facebook, no YouTube. I mean, mm -hmm. so much it yeah. emerged. So uh, influence became, it, it, I mean, it is now the world of influence rather than the world of hard persuasion. It's, it's really become and evolved into a very different marketing world. So um, that, that was, that was the, the really the, uh, the impetus for, for doing that episode you just referred to and changing the whole vibe of the show. Yeah, I remember, uh, and, and I'll say this, I, I use uh, kind of Apple as my go-to kind of podcast listening tool, you know, the Apple podcast. And I remember seeing it pop up and I was thinking like, how could Terry do something on influencers? Like he doesn't know and it's like, it's this new thing. How could he have a pulse on it? But what you shared was, it was incredible. Like you gave the history of it, what's happening now. And you gave me the articulation to, to even for me to explain to my clients how influencer marketing works. Because I feel like we're so in the trenches that you kind of pulled me out of it and said, hey, here's the influencer world. Here's how it works. Here's the history of it. And here's how you can bridge the gap between people that are just trying to understand these new fangled ways of marketing. Well, you know, just going back to your previous question, uh, I am a fundamentals guy. Yeah. So much of my show, it's interesting, my show began as a study of creativity because I was a writer and a director, so I was in the creative field. It slowly began to morph into a show on strategy. Mm. And if you listen to my show, it really is a study of advertising strategy. I've, be, I've literally, I always loved strategy as a writer, never got many good strategies to work from. There's very few great strategists in the marketing world. Whenever I talk to, to colleges of young marketers, I, I always ask for a show of hands, how many people are gonna pursue creativity? How many people are gonna pursue strategy? And I'm always trying to get them to pursue strategy because it's the one big gaping hole in our business. But I'm a fundamentals guy, I love strategy. And, uh, and I love to know how strategy started. Because if you can go back in time and figure out Maybe in 1951, this mm -hmm. is how the torture test started in marketing. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the famed when you're going to torture a product to show how durable it is. So if you can understand how it started, why it started, and the the impact it had, you can you can use that in a much more smart way now than just jumping on board and trying to figure it out. If you know the the the, the DNA, the carbon dating of an idea you will be a much smarter marketer on how you use that idea in 2020. Uh, and and the, the show kind of going to the podcast and uh, yeah, do you do them all in your Airstream? Like do you produce yeah. them all in there? Okay, in your, you actually have a physical Airstream that you do them in. Yes, that's right. We have a 1969 vintage Airstream, which I, ha I found then had restored and then had a, a radio studio built inside. So really, that Airstream is like a recording booth. It's a okay. soundproof recording booth, really beautiful inside. And then I send the show to my engineer, Keith Oman in Toronto, and he mixes it at his studio and then sends it back to me and we coordinate that way. So I don't have a mixing board in the, in the Airstream. It is purely a beautiful recording booth. And, and tell me about this. You, you've kind of ventured outside of just under the influence. Tell me about your other show that you have. Well, we actually have started a, a, a podcast network. Yeah. So it's called the Apostrophe Podcast Company and the Apostrophe Podcast Network, coming from the apostrophe in our last name. It's a family company. Mm -hmm. The O'Reilly apostrophe has been the bane of our existence in the digital world because <laughs> no computers. Even today, I was filling out a form yeah. to, to get on the mailing list for something, and I put my last name in, and it said, does not recognize characters. 
And I knew exactly what it was. It was the apostrophe. So anyway, hence the name of the company. Um, so we have launched our first podcast of the company called We Regret to Inform You, which is a very interesting podcast series. It's about people who have faced debilitating career rejection, like absolutely, you know, destructive, horrible career objections and, and being ignored and being, uh, you know, just uh, never given a chance and they never give up. And we, anal- we tell their story and then we try and analyze how it was they got over those obstacles. So we just did Tyler Perry, who has an amazing story on Stephen King, We've done even a movie, like we talked to the screenwriter of Pretty Woman, who's, who he could just never screenplay, then it becomes this iconic movie. So it's all these great stories about uh, rejection and, and then o- uh, overcoming that rejection. So that's the first, uh, it's, there's 10 or I think are 11 episodes out there right now. You can find it on you know, wherever you get your pods. We have four new podcasts launching in, in the fall. We have a true crime podcast out of Miami, which is fantastic. We have a, a really wonderful uh, show, Darian, on uh, it's a curious study of loneliness. Oh, wow. It's very interesting in this in this era right now because we're all yeah. isolating we, and we can't yeah. be as social as we used to be. So, it's a very, so we're looking at things like diners. Why do diners wow. attract so many lonely people? What is it about diners? Yeah. Talk about superhero origin stories because so yeah. many superheroes were orphans. And uh, we're, we're, we're lonely in the early, I mean, that's part of this. Anyway, and we talked about which, which, which music genre is the loneliest music genre. Is it the blues? You know, is it, is it uh, uh, rock and roll? Is it country? Like we, it's a really great exploration of loneliness. So that's going to hit in the fall. Um, and we have uh, Les Stroud, Survivor Man, if you know his TV show, is a friend of mine. Yep. So he's putting out a great podcast that we'll have on our network. So we'll have really great shows also coming out in the fall it's amazing so we regret to inform you your your instagram account for that i, I find it hilarious because you'll you'll uh tease people you'll tease me I, and as a listener and, I, and you'll try to get you'll try to guess who it is who right. are you going to talk about right um uh so that is hilarious and then say well, i want to know do any of the guests who you've featured do they ever write you or say thank you or you know ever be like oh wow that's really great you featured me and that has not that has not happened yet, and we don't interview those people. I mean, the show is yeah. a narration. It, yes, it's like a documentary of their life, yeah. you know, from when they try to achieve something yeah. to the moment it finally happens. That's the gap that yeah. we focus on. Um, but no, we've never we haven't had any feedback other than we the, we do have interviewed the screenwriter for Pretty Woman, so he's not in the yeah. show, but he just gave us. We spent three hours with him telling us the whole story yeah. and we get feedback from people we actually get to talk to. But normally it's an, it's a documentary style. So we're never re- in contact with them. Okay. Can you tease any episodes coming up for the next season? Have we regret to inform you? Uh, let me think now we want to do Bill Withers, the great edition okay. we just lost recently. Uh, I think there's a great story in Shania Twain, which we're just starting mm-hmm. to go after now. Uh, yeah. We're actually doing Back to the Future right now. We're actually nice. that movie, which bounced around Hollywood and got rejected for yeah. years. And yeah. it's that, that amazing thing that great movies sometimes yeah. no one sees the the, the value, mm-hmm. and then it becomes yeah. like an iconic hit. The same with people who come up with products that no one believes yeah. in, or 
you know, Stephen King got rejected uh, over 30 times for his first big novel, Carrie, which became, you know, a great movie and launched his career. And he just, you know, he had all his rejection letters on his spike on a wall. It's amazing. <laughs> it's actually, I want to say this too. Our series is is so inspiring. Yes, because it's yes. about how they all overcame that, all that rejection, and then had, you know, mind-blowing success. That it can be done. I feel like the timing of when you launched it, for me personally, um, during a, a time of life that was very difficult, I, I think for a lot of people, it was was so hopeful. I feel like the show is like, hey, it's hard, it's going to be hard, and, and it could get harder, yeah. but they, there's hope in the end, is what you keep saying to me through the show. That's, that is <clears throat> that is the core of the show in a nutshell, that there is hope, that if you don't give up, that's really our theme, if you don't give up, it will happen. Even we did... Uh, uh, Dyson last, uh, I think last yeah. story of Dyson. And uh, he tells this great story uh, that we related where he was a long distance runner in school and he realized something that in a long distance running, there's a moment where you are just so fatigued that you want to give up. And then he realized that all long distance runners feel the same fatigue at the same moment in the race. And that's the moment when you should accelerate. Because everybody else is going to fall back in that same moment. And, I, and he took that when he was about to give up on his vacuum cleaner innovation. He thought, okay, this is the moment when everybody gives up on innovations. Yeah. And he kept going. So those little insights are so fascinating to me. Hey, are you having trouble tracking inbound phone calls from your website or ads? Call Rails gives you the call tracking you need to measure the success of your marketing efforts in real time. Discover how many calls you receive from your Google ads, organic searches, social media efforts, and so much more. But that's not the only reason we use CallRails. CallRails seamlessly integrates your call and conversion data with over 700 marketing tools and platforms, including Google Analytics and Salesforce to fuel deeper insights automatically. Start your free trial today with CallRail. Yeah. Hey, one other part of your life um, is, is speaking. And, and uh, living in a time where there's not as many events, uh, not as many kind of keynotes, how have you shifted or what have you kind of done to kind of fill that part of your life that, that you were so good at and so enjoyed? So speaking at conferences and speaking yeah. to companies about marketing is a big part of my life. And you're right, that has more or less evaporated in the, in the pandemic. But I see now, and I've done three of them, and I have a number of them coming up in October where we're doing virtual keynotes. So it's like this. Mm. The strange thing in Darien is, of course, you know, you have to give an impassioned talk to your computer and you're not yeah. seeing anybody. You're not seeing yeah. 300 people in the audience and you're not hearing yeah. laughter or you're not hearing reaction or you're not hearing clapping when you make a, a point that everybody loves. Like all of that feedback that's, that a yeah. speaker, like so when I say something funny in my talk, I, have to, I, I leave a little gap assuming that, <laughs> that there's laughter. I guess that's mm -hmm. such a funny thing. But anyway, so and all of us speakers, it's an interesting thing. We're having to very quickly learn how to deal with different platforms because yes. almost every event has chosen a different platform. Oh, it's so many yeah. and they're all different. So, and if you've got a lot of slides, which I do, you, yeah. you know, it's, it's not easy and you don't get much rehearsal time. It's not like in the old days, you know, back a year yeah. ago when I would go in, do my tech check an hour before I hit the stage with yeah. bugs. It's not the same anymore. So it's a little uh, frightening right now. Yeah. We, we have a good common friend, Mike Morrison, yeah. out of Calgary. Love who Mike. has Love Mike. Yeah. 
I, I attended his latest event that he did virtually, um, but what I love so much about it, they sent me a box in the mail uh, a week in advance, and during the event, there was envelopes to open throughout the experience. So it felt like there was a physical element to this very kind of two-dimensional virtual experience. It was, it was wonderful. Now, uh, you spoke at it, and, and oh yeah, I was gonna say, you're speaking at this event, what has some of your experiences been with some of the success when someone can do a virtual event well? What are some of the things that you've been seeing that well, I spoke at one of Mike's events this year, <clears throat> and uh, that I think that may have been the first virtual keynote talk I have done was with Mike. Okay. And uh, I love Mike. I love how he, I love his events. I love his enthusiasm. Everything about it, and everything you just mentioned, how he does make it tactile, even though it's virtual. Um, it's hard to say. I mean, I get a lot of great feedback from people doing virtual talks. I, I give it the same bravado that I, if I was standing on the stage. So, yeah. and then we get to do a little Q and A with the audience. That's really the only yeah. time in that aspect, I actually get to feel a presence of an audience. Nice. So, um, yeah. and that's always, that's always fun and good. So all I can say is I think conference organizers are starting to feel a little braver about possibly doing virtual keynotes because it's not just the hour that I'm speaking. They have to determine whether people are willing to sit in front of their computer for six hours because it's yeah. those events are usually day-long events, right? Yeah. So everybody has to re-acclimatize re to this new world. Yeah. And for you too, uh, you've seen TV, you've seen radio, uh, and now podcasts. Why do you think podcasts are, are so popular? Why do you see this huge trend spike these days? It's a funny thing. My company, Pirate, was a sound company. We created sound. Mm -hmm. When the internet arrived and when websites arrived, nobody wanted sound. Like we had a hard mm -hmm. time finding our way in to the virtual world as a sound company because the first thing everybody would jump to on a website is turn sound off, right? Yes. Yep. For years. And then MySpace, remember MySpace would autoplay if you ever remember those? <laughs> yeah, you're just trying to turn it off because nobody wants to hear anything yeah. on the website, right? So over time, uh, that started to change. And I think what podcast offered people was uh, you know that Netflix model of of listening on demand. So that, that was interesting. If you listen, if you look at my radio show on CBC, if you didn't sit in front of your radio at eleven thirty on Thursday mornings or Saturday mornings, you would miss me, right? Yes. And then you could miss me four times in a row, and then I'm gone from your from your yeah. appointment list. So podcasting allowed people to you know not miss their favorite radio shows, and then once they got in the swing of podcast listening and downloading, then they discovered there was a lot of other great podcasts to listen to. And I think podcasts uh, offer what radio does, which is a really great one-on-one -on -one experience. Yeah. And I think, and the pandemic's been an interesting moment because I think most people do their listening when they're commuting. Mm -hmm or at the gym, like at very specific times where a, a half hour podcast fits great when I'm on the, the uh, transit going to work, or I'm in my car driving to work, or if I'm killing, you know, I wanna listen to something while I'm working out in the gym, all of that disappeared in the pandemic because nobody's going to work and nobody's going to gyms. So podcasting took a little hit and then it started to come back again as people, uh, I think, just figured out new routines in their life. So I think it's the, appointment nature of it that you can listen when you're ready to listen that there is so many great there's you know there's a million podcasts on itunes which is a whole other subject we can talk about i mean just getting discovered is is yeah. a herculean task to get into the top 200 podcasts 
takes enormous chutzpah. Part of our apostrophe marketing, uh, apostrophe podcast company is that we know how to market podcasts because we're marketers first and foremost, yeah. right? So, uh, yeah, and, and the amount, like, for example, I just listened to a great podcast, Darian, that I loved <clears throat> called The Score, The Bank Robber Diaries. And this is a 14-part podcast about a bank robber in California who, like, who's alive. He's in, probably only in his 40s or maybe early 50s. He robbed something like 30 or 40 banks in California before he got caught. So they do the whole show about talking to him about his life and how we rob banks. And he takes you, walks you through how we walked into banks and how we sized up banks. And then he, then they interview the people he robbed, like the bank tellers and the managers. And, wow. But the production quality therein of that show is extraordinary. It's, it's original mm-hmm. music, which very few yeah. podcasts can afford their use of sound and pauses. It's just a really great lesson in, in what a podcast can be. Hmm. A great My, uh, sonically great, not just content great, but sonically great. My uh, my family, one of my favorite things to do uh, on long drives is uh, the Adventures of Narnia. Had put out these CDs. We still have these CDs that we put in our car, and, yeah. and it's it's all the act, voice actors. And and I sometimes I imagine when we're listening to it in the car rides is uh, you know sitting around a radio back in the day as a family unit and kind of listening to this show. Uh, but it's nice when they actually bring in actors and bring in that music and bring in those sound effects. Where I feel like so many shows come out these days that are just like quickly made, mass produced, yeah. and, and again, not discovered. So, so what do, I, I know you can't give away your trade secrets, but like, what do you think is one way that podcasts do get discovered on the show and in the ways that you're seeing your, your new shows that will get discovered? That's a very good question. Um, I think first and foremost, there has to be, great, has to be a great idea behind the podcast. And there yes. has to be then great production quality, as I was just speaking to. I mean, that we the reason it takes 12 hours to, to mix yeah. our show is because we, we take it very seriously about the sound and the music and the sound effects and the the sound quality. So it doesn't sound like you're you're in a tunnel or you got a lot of echo, just the actual room quality of the miking. Um, then out in the out in the wild, out in the Serengeti, that is the podcast world, you have to market your show. You have to. As you were saying, you see our teasers, you have to, you know, use social media. Each social channel has a different uh, structure and architecture. So you you have to create different. We try not to use the same creative across Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. We try and so that you can discover us in three different or four different channels. And all the creative is fresh. Cross promotion is a great idea. Mm. So you have if you can touch base with another podcast that may have a simpatico theme or that their audience might be interested in your and what you have to do so you cross promote each other that's a great way to, to get discovered um your platform can help you you know we're with Acast, and Acast really pr- helps promote our show especially in the u.s oh, um, nice. <clears throat> um what else can i tell you um i th- i think that those are the major the major ways to get noticed is really marketing and cross promotion is really the best. The best gets you just so without having to spend any money. You're just spending time yeah. and effort. Yeah, you can always take out Facebook ads and Twitter ads, etc. If you want to spend money in marketing, and there's nothing wrong with that either if you've got the funds. So tell me about the trend in kind of uh, podcast advertising. There's like pre-roll, mid-roll, end-roll. Um, tell me about trends that you're seeing and where you think that will go. 
You know, it's interesting. Podcast advertising is really a throwback to the golden age of radio in the 40s. Yeah. It's all, you know, host read. It's, it's, that's what all the advertisers want. It's not pre-produced commercials. I think we've only had one pre-produced commercial in all of our shows from the beginning of time. <laughs> Everything else yeah. they want myself or or Sydney who does who is the host of we regret to inform you they, they always want to host red ads and they want hosts to inject their personalities into them so it's a very interesting it goes against a lot of of what I believed in advertising which is that you want that you want the ad to jump out of the show that you want to have yeah. an intriguing concept behind it and be really well produced podcast the world feels very different in podcasting the Listeners are okay with host red ads and they want to hear a host who has an experience with the product and not just, you know, not just reading a, a briefing list to you. So, so mid roll, so pre roll, mid roll, and end roll. So, there's only so many ads you can tuck into a half hour show, which mostly yeah. everyone wants a mid roll. All advertisers feel that the, the best place to be is in the middle of a show, that there'll be less chance that listeners will skip over the middle because they'll be so engrossed in the show. That's the hope. Next would be pre-roll because everybody has to start a podcast. The end roll is probably the least desirable, but in many ways, I think it's it's overlooked. Um, I mean, even in our show, Darian, I mean, there's a reason why I, in Under the Influence, I do something funny as the very last moment of the show. Like the very yeah. last 10 seconds, I yeah. do something funny. And there's a reason for that is I want people to sit through the credits. Yeah. Right. So you, the way you structure everything affects how people listen and, and people, uh, they, they comment often on the very last few seconds. So I know they're listening right to the end. And that's important because when advertisers look at your show data, they want to see how long people are listening to your show. Are they bailing at the 10 minute mark? Are they getting, yes. they only listening for 15 because I try and create a great show. And I put, I put a little, little candy at the end. People are listening. Yes. Well, 27 minutes, right? Yeah, and that helps yeah. us attract advertisers. So it's all smart strategy, right? Yeah. I, I am one of those people that waits till the end. It's almost like the, the Marvel movies. You fast forward after the credits to kind of find out what secret they'll have. Um, but it's always it's always something between you and it's another person's voice, the producer, right? Is, yeah. is that who that or, or yeah, yeah, it's always no, it's, you bantering or I've I've changed it over the years. I used to have a phone okay. call in there, and I used, I try yes. and change it up every season. But this past season was an actor named Jamie Watson, who is one of my favorite actors, who who does all those little bits. Yeah. Oh, they're 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 very hilarious. Very hilarious. Um, how about you? Uh, phone wise, do you have some apps that you can't live without? Kind of go to apps, or or where do you go listening to your podcast? Do you have kind of a favorite app podcast listening app? I, I use Acast. That, that's the platform our apps are on. And Acast has a beautiful podcast app. <clears throat> really okay. wonderful. And, I, and for us podcasters, it has a great dashboard that gives us really beautifully laid out information on who's listening, where, et cetera, mm. which we all, because feedback is the breakfast of champions, right? So we oh, yes. Yes. love feedback. So Acast app, we, I use a lot. I love Shazam. I'm a big Shazam user. I'm forever Shazamming music I hear on television shows or even on a commercial, like there's an Uber commercial right now and I love the track on it and I, I shazammed it last night to figure out what it was because I can use that in my show too because I'm always looking for music. My CBC, now remember, you can't use copyright music in a podcast. That's very important for all your podcast, listener, uh, podcast creators out there. 
So I use drop. I use copyright music in my CBC show because CBC yeah. pays the royalties. But I strip it all out for a podcast because there's no royalty oh, rates. Oh, okay. And I, I want to say this to podcast creators. Um, I saw an article recently saying that record companies have 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 ramped up their uh, efforts to. Uh, you know, sue and bring litigation against podcasters using music. Because remember that all music's coded. That's why Shazam works, right? Yeah, okay. So, you know, who knows what Sony music is listening to and just, just you know, have software to find their, their music codes being used in podcasts. And then if you've been using in copyright music for like, you know, eight years in your podcast, you could be on the hook for eight years of royalties. Wow. And there goes your house. Okay. So just and, 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 about that. And even if you sing it, what if you sing the song? Is that also as bad? You can't even sing it, can you? As, no. Can't. No. Okay. You can you can say you can reference a title because you can't copyright titles. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's a it's a, a weird thing that there hasn't been royalties put in place for podcasts because that's a whole source of revenue for artists that and they're yeah. starving right now because they can't perform. And nobody's buying music anymore, right? Yeah. So I don't know what the holdup is because the advertising world was able to strike a deal with music, you know, that the internet, when commercials get played, they figure yeah. out a way to, to figure out royalties and geofencing, et cetera. So I don't know what the holdup is. It's frustrating. One of my other, um, I got a couple of shows, I, uh, CBC show, it was one of my favorites to listen to with my son, is The Great Debaters. I find it fascinating. Yeah. It's, but it's been a bit more awkward these days because there's no audience. So, so hearing them do the show uh, without a, a live studio audience just doesn't feel the same. Um, but it's been really impressive seeing CBC put out such great quality shows and they continue to invest in that world. Yeah. You know, you have, you have to give CBC credit. And I don't work for CBC. I license my show to CBC. Yeah. So I can say this was up with objectivity. I think they do a great job. You know, they, there's a lot of really great shows on CBC. They're forever working with slash budgets. Yeah. Both, you know, both parties, the, the conservatives and the liberals, both slash CBC budgets. So, I mean, when someone throws a rock at the CBC saying it's liberal or that is, it's really, it's been slashed by both parties over the years. Mm. And uh, and I'll say this about the, the wonderful folks at CBC. They, they leave me alone. Every year mm. when we talk about renewing the, the license, they say, keep doing what you're doing. We love it. And you got to love that because... How often are you left alone in your professional life? Yeah. And it's really this show, the CB under the influence, is mine to screw up because they they have not ever put their their nose or fingers in the show. They've really given me wonderful freedom. Wow. And then the shows we're creating, of course, we have absolute freedom in. So yeah. that's another great wow. thing about podcasting, right? You don't have as a rule, you don't have an overlord. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. I, I, my, I, I don't know if it's called well, my, my host is Anchor uh, .fm, now owned by Spotify. So I feel I'm somewhat at their mercy for getting my data, like because and and where is it being distributed and what's the you know they they can only give me so much information I'm finding right and Apple's working to get me more information. So I feel like it's still a bit of a, a wild west in the sense of getting the hard data compared to maybe some of the other advertising. I I agree. I agree. And if you look at the history again, you know, talking about the history of things, if you look at the history yeah. of radio, yeah. 1920s started, the same growing pains, like not yeah. much, not much feedback, not much data. Um, even in the early days of radio, advertising was illegal on, on oh, wow. radio. It was really not brought in till met till several years later. So, I mean, every 
every medium has its growing pains and podcast is, is podcasting is still in its diapers. Yeah. So Terry, where can people find you, your show, um, the books, where can they go? Easiest place to find you. Uh, well, we're easy to find uh, our podcasts. Our, you can go to apostrophepodcast.ca. You okay. can go just look at them on iTunes or wherever you're, you get your pods. You'll find Under the Influence there. You'll find all the Under the Influence archives there, which we released yeah. this year for the first time. So you can go back in time and listen to any episode we created. Yeah. It's all there for free to uh, for you whenever you want to listen to it. We regret to inform you is on every podcast platform as well. My books are in bookstores. I'm working on my third book right now, oh, nice. which is due in January to my publisher. So I'm deep into that, which is not an advertising book, by the way. Can you tease your new book? What is it? What is it about? Can you give some? Um, it's the 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 working title is my best mistake. Okay. Right. And it's a show about people who made um, career mistakes that ended up being the best thing that ever happened to them. Wow. Okay. Okay. Very, very cool. And going to the archives, you can find the two-part special on uh, how advertising affected yeah, women. Yeah. <clears throat> and and I think I can't remember the name of my favorite show, but the the radio one where you talk about just the the was it the power of radio or the influence of radio because it surprised well, every, me. Almost every season, almost yeah. every season, I do one episode on the, on great radio from around the world. So I'm not oh, sure okay. which season that was, but oh, there okay. you see them in the archives. As a matter of fact, if you go to your listeners or your viewers, if, yeah. if they want a master episode list, yeah. right, if you go to my website, which is terryoreilly.ca, very yeah. easy, there's an under the influence tab there. If you click that, you'll get it. You'll get an absolute 300 plus episode master episode list there. So you can find whatever show you'll know exactly which season to go hunting for in your podcast app. Once you find it on our master episode list. It's amazing. And good way to support .ca, Sierra. Sierra, I'm a .ca guy. Yep. Love .ca. Everything we do is .ca. So yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. That's actually how I uh, was really influenced actually to go and reconsider putting jelly on .ca versus .com was hearing that pre-roll of you talking about yeah. the importance of .ca. Yeah, I, I, I'm a big believer in that too. I, I, I love .ca. I think it's, like I say, I think it's the, uh, I've said this before, I think it's a little, it's the little Canada pin on your knapsack as you go tripping yeah. around the world, right? No, it's great. It's very cool. So Terry, thank you for being on the show. Thank well, thanks for having me. Those are great questions. I really enjoyed that. Thanks everyone for joining us this week on Marketing Jam, and we'll see you next week on The Jam. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.